Beginning in Ephesians chapter 1, let me read verses 15 and 16 to you. Paul, writing by the Spirit of God, said, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. You hear a similar thing. He said, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. He said, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our God and Father. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Some of the same words again. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. We've got four different verses here from four different letters that Paul wrote to three different churches. And yet you hear the same thing repeated nearly verbatim over and over and over. And I'll paraphrase, but he said, I can't quit praying for you. I can't quit praying for you. I don't know if you know what it's like, I hope you do, to have somebody praying for you. And every single one of us are able and should be doing our own praying. You should be doing a lot of praying. And this is something that the Lord's stirring in my heart and Sarah's heart right now for our lives and for this church, that it's time to increase our prayer around here a little bit. But as much praying as we do for ourselves and standing in faith for ourselves, our own, our own lives, our own families, our own finances, that's a good thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's another level of comfort. It's another level of encouragement to find out somebody's been praying for you. And Paul's writing to these people saying, I can't quit praying for you. Now, there are some people you want praying for you. And I think if you were living in this day and time and you were to make a short list of who you want praying for you, the Apostle Paul should be somewhere at the top of that list. Am I telling the truth? If there's anybody you want praying, it's this man of faith. It's this man with a great revelation of grace and who Jesus is. I want this man praying for me. And the truth is, you don't even have to live all those thousands of years ago. He's still praying for you. The Spirit of God saw fit to write and record these words for all men for all time. So when you read Ephesians 1 and you read Colossians 1 and you read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you can stand there and say, somebody is praying for me. Glory to God. It's written to you. I remember being a 10 or 12 year old kid and every summer my parents would put me on a plane in Dallas, Fort Worth. And that started about the time I was seven years old. That's hard for us to imagine now. 
I don't know if you've got little children, but can you imagine taking them to some place like Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport? I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's a big place. It's a busy place. But my parents would take me to the airport, put me on a plane by myself, and would fly me to go see my dad's parents, my grandparents, who lived uh, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I can't hardly fathom the thought of taking one of my children and saying, dropping them off at the airport. I mean, that just kind of shows you how much things have changed since then. But that's what I did as a seven-year-old kid. And they thought, well, he's well taken care of. They, they would put a, this plastic sleeve around me as a necklace and it would have, it was about this big and it would have my paper ticket in it. And this was back when you could just walk right up to the gate. There wasn't all the security stuff we have today. And, and my parents, I have some vivid memories of this. They would hand me off to a flight attendant we just met <laughs> and say, here's our son. You know, Jeremy, call us when you get there. And uh, I'd fly to go see my grandparents in Massachusetts. Well, this happened summer after summer after summer. And one year, I was about 10 years old, 12 years old. And this was kind of typical. I love going to see him. I loved that part of the country. I, I loved spending time on the Cape and the Northeast. I just felt like it was almost like another world from Texas. It was another world from Texas, <laughs> let's be honest. And I loved it. I really identified with it. I thought it was beautiful. But it wasn't uncommon about two or three o'clock in the afternoon for things to just kind of slow down at grandma and grandpa's house. Um, and 10-year-old Jeremy, 12-year-old Jeremy, he's looking for things to do. And one afternoon in particular, I guess I got especially bored. So I'm walking around the house just looking for anything to do. And I ended up, I guess it was in the bedroom that I was staying in. And in that bedroom, my grandmother had a desk that sat in the corner of the room. And on that desk was a kind of a hutch that had different drawers in it. And I'm desperate, right? I'm, I'm looking anywhere, everywhere, just to find something to pass the time. And end up going through all the drawers in that desk. I don't know what I thought I was going to find in a desk to, that was going to pass the time, but that's where I'm looking. Well, I didn't find anything to do, but I did find something that caught my attention. I pulled out this old tattered piece of paper, kind of a long skinny sheet of paper, and it caught my attention because it had about a dozen names on it or more, and I looked and I saw my name. And then I looked and I saw that most of the other names on this list are the names of people in our family. My mom, my dad, my sister, my aunt, my uncle. Different ones in our family, different folks that my grandparents knew. And I figured out this is my grandmother's prayer list. And I remember just as a 10 or 12 year old kid, the way that it touched my heart, if you can even say that about that age. I don't know that I would have expressed it like that then, but looking back on it now, I can see that's what it did. And this thought hit me. She's praying for me. She's praying for me. And even at a young age, I think it did something for me. Just the realization, she's thinking about me. I'm on her mind. I'm in her heart. And I don't know if it was a daily thing for her, something she did often. I think it probably was. She would go to that list and one by one call name after name after name and pray the best that she knew how. Now, my grandmother, my dad's mom, moved to the United States from Italy as a small child. She's an immigrant here. 
her dad moved over here years before my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and her sisters. He moved over here to be an American cowboy. <laughs> That's what he wanted to do. He came as an Italian from Italy, moved to America, to California, to be an American cowboy. <laughs> and we actually have old, old, my parents have old photographs of my Italian, what would that be, great-grandfather, sitting on a horse with guns held in the air. He's an American cowboy. And they, they came from a pretty, I, I would think, religious background, uh, Roman Catholicism. And we, we know of the, the Catholic Church at large, but they were from Italy. I mean, you're, you're born Catholic, you know what I mean? And, and so she came out of that background. And when my dad was about, I think, 19 years old or so, he gave his heart to the Lord and was born again and ended up leading his mom and dad to the Lord. So they came to know the Lord later in life and they had a sincere love for him and a sincere hunger for him. I don't know. They're both in heaven now. I don't, I don't know what all they knew or didn't know about some of the things you and I are so familiar with now, just walking by faith, standing on the word. I think they learned a lot as my dad learned. Um, and when he moved from Massachusetts to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which he's always said was like international travel. And then he moved from there to Texas, was like intergalactic travel. His whole life and world got changed. And it had, it certainly had an impact on my grandparents. Uh, I, I don't know what all she was praying. I really don't. But I also don't really care. All I know was my grandma was praying for me. I'm gonna make a statement to his church and it's gonna seem obvious to you. It's gonna seem like, does that even need to be said? But it does. We gotta be praying for each other. <laughs> we have got to be doing more praying for each other. And you think, prayer, wow, has it come to that? Man. We have got to learn or remember if we've forgotten the power of a faith-filled prayer. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Other translations say make much power available. We need to be praying for each other. And too often when somebody comes to heart or somebody comes to mind, especially if they're coming up over and over and over again, you think about them in passing on Monday and you're thinking about them again on Tuesday and by Wednesday they're on your mind again. We too often take that as a cue to start talking about them. But we got to be doing less talking about them and more praying for them. That, that constant remembrance of them is not just a cue to enter into conversation about them. It's a cue from the Spirit of God. Offer up some prayer for them. Offer up some faith on their behalf. You may or may not know what it is they're facing or going through, but the Lord's quickening your heart. Evidently, he's wanting to do something in their life, and for whatever reason, they haven't opened the door. That's all right. God's saying, you open the door. I'll go through the door you open, and I can get to them. Because when I can't get to them, I can get through, through you to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is how powerful our prayer life is and, and should be for each other. 
There are some people you want praying for you. Paul is writing, and these are not just throwaway words. There is not a wasted word in all of Scripture. These words are inspired by the Spirit of God. And he's saying to the church at Ephesus, he's saying to to the Colossians, he's saying to the Thessalonians, I can't quit praying for you. And if you're in Ephesus, what do you say? Keep on, brother. Keep on praying. And he said it over and over. I thank God for you upon every remembrance of you. He said, well, I'm praying for you continually. And to that I say, yes and amen. Keep it up. This is somebody I want praying for me. And the things that he would pray for them, these are things that we can pray for ourselves, for our families, but most certainly should be praying for each other. He prayed about the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. He prayed about their hearts being flooded with light. He prayed that they would come to know the love of Christ and be rooted and grounded in it. He prayed that they'd be filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding and the knowledge of him. He prayed that they would walk worthy of the calling with which they had been called. These are all things that the Spirit of God is leading this man to pray for these people. Now, why would the Spirit of God lead anybody to pray and not just pray, but pray specific words for somebody. Why? Because that's what he wants to do for them. That's the prayer he wants to answer. This is one of the reasons people think, well, God doesn't answer all prayer. Some he does and some he doesn't. I'm going to tell you right now how to pray and have every prayer you ever pray get answered. Pray what he tells you to pray. Because what he tells you to pray is what he wants to do. When you're praying what he leads you to pray, whether it's for you or somebody else, you have, you have submitted yourself and you're yielding yourself to the will of God. And we know when we ask according to his will, he hears us. It's really simple, isn't it? It really is. So much prayer and time in prayer is spent trying to inform God of something. God, I need. God, I want. God, it hurts. God, don't you see? God, won't you help me? When instead of saying, God, I need, I need, I need, it should start like, God, what do I need? What do you want to do? You let me know that. I'll come into agreement with you. I'll pray that. Don't you think that God was revealing his will to these people? What will? His will to fill them with the knowledge of his will. His will to open the eyes of their heart. His will to root them and ground them deeply in his love. Yes, he wants to do that. Well, why didn't he just do it then? He needs somebody's cooperation in faith and in prayer. Can you see that? We need to be praying for each other. We're praying for you. Isn't it good to know you got somebody praying for you? Thank you, Lord. What I want to focus on here and draw your attention to for just a minute or two is asking and answering this question. What opened the door to that prayer? We need to understand in the realm of the Spirit, just like we have doors in the natural that open and close, there are doors in the Spirit that open and close. And if a door is closed, you're not going into that room, naturally speaking. Well, if a door in the spirit is not open to you, then you're not going into that place in the spirit and receiving what's in that place in the spirit. So the question we should be asking is, 
What opened that door for Paul to pray that way for those people? Well, it was the same thing every time. Just listen to it again. Ephesians 1. What did he say? After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. That's when he said, I heard that and I couldn't quit praying for you. Colossians 1. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Again, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love. 2 Thessalonians, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and your love, the love you have for everyone, abounds. Do you see what every one of these have in common? It was the same thing in every place that opened the door to this kind of praying. He said, when I heard of your faith in Jesus... And your love for each other. Every time. It wasn't something new. It wasn't one thing going on in one church in one part of the world. It wasn't another thing going on in another church in another city. They didn't each have their own individual operations and identities and all. It was the same thing going on in every place. And that same thing produced the same thing every time. And it was this spirit-inspired, spirit-led, anointed praying taken place by the Spirit of God through Paul for these people. And what was it? It was faith in Jesus and love for each other. That was it. And Paul said, I heard about it. And it's difficult for us to even imagine a time like this because we have the ability to say something and it be heard instantaneously. And I'm not just talking about being in the same room with somebody. You can say something to somebody on the other side of the world And we're doing it right now. I mean, there are people watching online right now from other places around the world. We're saying something. They're hearing it. You know the expression, word travels fast? Not back then. Word didn't go anywhere fast. Word didn't travel instantaneously. When Paul said, I heard about your faith, I heard about your love, what's he mean? He means that somebody was physically in that church in Ephesus was an eyewitness and a firsthand, had a firsthand experience with this faith in this group and this love that they had for each other. And that person who experienced that left that church, went and got on a boat and traveled to wherever Paul was in the world at the time, came back and gave that report. Paul said, tell me what's going on in the church And whoever was there was like, oh, the faith in that place. I'm telling you, the faith in that place, those people have some faith in Jesus. They took a hold of that word you preach, Paul, and they believed it. They took it to heart. They're putting it into practice. They're walking by it. They're living by it. They're talking by it. They're fighting with it. These people are living and walking and talking and fighting by faith. You should see the faith in this place. And Paul says, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, that's just what I want in in a place. That's just what I want for people. 
That, I want the message just to take root in their heart. Oh, I love it. What else? What else? What else? What else? And they said, oh, the love. The love among these people. They love each other. They love each other so good, so big, so loud. You should see the way they love each other. These people just have so much love for each other, Paul. And Paul says, oh, I love that as much as the faith thing. <laughs> faith and love, faith and love. Is there anything else that you could ask for from a group of people? Faith and love. And when he hears this report, he falls to his knees in thanksgiving and in praise and in worship. And the spirit of God moves on him. And he says, pray this. Pray that they'd be rooted in that love, that they'd be grounded in that love. Pray that the eyes of their understanding would be flooded with light. I want to do this for them. Somebody else comes from another city, spending time with the Colossian folks. And Paul says, what's going on at that church? And the same report, you should see the faith. You should see the love. Somebody comes from Thessalonica and he says, what's going on at the church over there? Oh, the faith in that place is so jacked up, so high. People are living faith, talking faith, walking faith. What else? All oh, the love, the love, the love. They said their faith is growing and their love is abounding for each other. And what did Paul say? I can't quit praying for you because of that. Because of faith and because of love. When we moved here several years ago and seeking the Lord about the church and what he wanted for the church, you know, every place, every church, every local church has an identity and they have an assignment, if you will. And not every place is the same um, and not every assignment is the same. But the Lord was very clear with us, Sarah and I, in seeking him. He took us to these verses that I just read to you and he said, build me a place with an atmosphere full of faith and love. And some of you who are with us in the very beginning days, this is something we talked about then, and even in recent times we've talked about it, that this place, Legacy Church, this city on a hill, is supposed to be a place where you walk into an atmosphere of faith and love. Have you ever gone with a realtor to check out a house for sale? Have you ever walked into a house that you were maybe going to buy, maybe put an offer on, and you walked, down, walked in and it just smelled like warm chocolate chip cookies in the house? Has that, you ever experienced that before? People have found out that that is such an inviting and intoxicating smell that it's just a little trick that some realtors do. Are there cookies in the oven? No. There's cookies in a can that they sprayed in that kitchen. And you walk in... And it's like the smell of chocolate chip cookies just sort of lifted you up off the ground. And you thought, I'm going to give these people all my money. It's in the air you breathe. Well, that's what we want here. But instead of chocolate chip cookies, I want you breathing in faith. I want you breathing in the love of God. I want somebody coming into this place 
who all week long has been staring down the barrel of an impossible situation where it looks like they've got no hope and no way out and have no idea what they're going to do, but they walk into an environment like this and faith is in the air. And whether or not their particular situation ever gets touched on, talked about, or, or, or what, just that spirit of faith in the place, they leave going, wait a second, all things are possible. Wait a second, all things are possible to him who believes, and all things are possible with God, and they take a brand new look at whatever it is they were facing, and they say, you know what, it's not impossible. We can do this. We can overcome. We are more than conquerors. How do you create a spirit and an atmosphere of faith? Well, how does faith come? We know this from Romans chapter 10. Faith comes one way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now that is such a profound scripture that it is worth all your time digging into it and finding out everything it means, but just take it at, at face value and on the surface, faith is going to come the more word you put in, which is why we have in this church Ask the Lord for his grace and his help to stay with the word. Faith doesn't come by conjecture. Faith doesn't come because you heard my opinion. Faith doesn't come when I preach some experience I had. Faith comes by the hearing of the word of God. By the grace of God, we'll preach his word and stay with his word and stand on his word and run to his word and find out what his word has to say. Because his word has something to say about anything and everything you could face, I could face, any one of us are dealing with. What does the word say about it? Come on, that's the question you should be asking. What does the word say? What does the word say? That's the question I got asked all the time as a kid growing up in a house of faith when I wasn't feeling good, when I needed something, when I had a problem at school with a friend, my mom and dad would say, okay, well, what does the word say? What does the word say? And I'll be honest with you, as a kid hearing that, you're like, I, I don't know. Tell me. Tell me what the word says, then I'll know what the word says. And then when you say, what does the word say? I can tell you what the word says. <laughs> and yeah, maybe I got a little frustrated with that as a teenager. But can I tell you who's thankful for it now? This 40-something-year-old standing here who got raised in a household of faith. And now I've got that same thing coming out of my mouth. What does the word say? What does the word say? Because that's the only place faith comes from. Amen. And you can fill an atmosphere with it. There was a day that Jesus was in a house preaching to people. And the Bible tells us there was a lot of religious people in that house. So I don't know what kind of atmosphere they brought with them. I can make assumption as I read the Gospels. These were not exactly members of the Jesus Christ fan club, these people. They're looking to find something wrong with what he's saying. They're looking and listening with critical hearts. Looking for something, some fault they can find. There is no faith in the room when that's the attitude. You're not bringing a supply of faith when you're sitting there listening for somebody to make a mistake. If you don't want to be a fault-finding person, don't be a fault-seeking person. Fault-finders are just fault-seekers. And that's the group Jesus was preaching to. And while he's preaching, the roof gets a hole in it. And dust 
and rock and whatever else was up there begins to chip off and fall. And Jesus is like, what's that in my hair? And he steps back and he looks down and he looks up. And there's five guys, four of which just dug a hole in the roof. And they're like, sorry to interrupt, but this guy needs healing. Can we drop him down there real quick? And you know what the Bible says about that? Jesus saw their faith. There are other times in scripture where it says he perceived. There were things that were perceivable to him. But on this occasion, faith, an invisible force, became visible to the physical eye. He saw it. How did he see faith? Because faith just dug a hole in the roof. Faith just did whatever it took to get to the feet of Jesus. And whatever atmosphere was or wasn't in the room, at that point, faith flooded the place. And it wasn't Jesus who did it. It was the people coming to him who came with that heart and that attitude. And you know that man got up and walked out of that place. What did that? Well, didn't he tell them? As he told others, faith has made you whole. We can create an atmosphere where those things are right on hand and ready to happen and ready to break out at any time. Faith does that. Somebody take a deep breath in. What's that smell? That's faith, man. Breathing in an atmosphere. This is the air we breathe. It's why we encourage you to read your chapter every day, Monday through Friday. If you haven't been doing that with us, jump on board. What are you doing? You're getting the word in you. Faith is coming. Faith is coming. Faith is coming. I told you last week, I've, in addition to our reading, I've been going through the Old Testament and there's quite a few chapters in there where I've just had to go, Lord, what do you want me to get out of that? But I, I sat down the other day and I was going to read several chapters and I made the decision, I'm just going to read and then you talk to me about whatever you want to talk about. And I read and I don't know that I could tell you now what all those chapters were about, but I just read for an hour, just read. And at the end of that time, the Lord started talking to me about the church, about my family, about our finances, answer after answer after answer. Where'd that come from? It came from the anointing that is on the word and the faith that comes by hearing it. We can create an atmosphere, church, where people from our community can come in having never heard one good message on faith. And they step into this atmosphere and maybe they can't explain it when they leave. They just feel lifted. They just feel encouraged. They just leave thinking, okay, maybe I won't quit. That's what the spirit of faith can do. But what else was going on in these churches that so inspired Paul to pray the way he prayed? It wasn't just their faith. What else was it? Love. These two things. And honestly, you have to have both of these. 
You and I could talk faith, teach faith, preach faith till we're blue in the faith. (laughs) (laughs) But where there is no revelation of love, there is no operation of faith. Let me say it again. Where there is no revelation of love, there is no and can be no operation of faith. Because faith works, how? By love. I'll say it to you like this. Your faith will work when you find out how much you're loved. That is what makes faith work. If you're trying to work faith without a revelation of the love of God, man, you're doing nothing but pushing levers and pushing buttons and the mechanics of faith. And those are all fine and good things. But what puts the power in it, what makes it effective is the revelation of how loved you are. Which is why we have to have these two things in operation. We're not looking for a church that's just got a great revelation of faith. If all you have is a great revelation of faith, look out because you're gonna get puffed up in pride, thinking you really know something that other people don't know. It takes love. It takes love working in us and working through us to make our faith worth anything. What did Paul say? I could have faith that could move mountains, but if I don't have love, how much am I? Nothing. He said, I am nothing. My faith is nothing without that love. So the atmosphere that by the grace of God we're creating here is an atmosphere both of faith and of love. Well, we find out how to create the atmosphere of faith, right? You go to the Word. You preach the Word. You stand on the Word. You look to the Word. How do you create an atmosphere of love? And by the way, everything I'm telling you about creating this atmosphere in this church will work in your house. Everything we're talking about And what's going to create this atmosphere in this house is the same thing that'll create the same atmosphere of heaven in your house. Is there some other atmosphere you want at your house? Something other than one of faith? Something other than one of love? No, that's what you want. And if you didn't know you wanted that, let me be the first to tell you. That's what you want. You want that. And and people can feel it. People can sense it. It's an invisible thing, but it's very real. Just like you can walk into a place, and even if you hadn't been there the moments before, you can walk into a place and just know strife is there. You know, you can sense people have been fighting. You can walk into a home, and even if the husband and wife answered the door together with, smile on their, with the smiles on their faces, you walk in, if you're spiritually perceptive at all, you know something's been going on. And Jesus even told his disciples that. When he sent them out, he said, you're going to go into places and you're going to go into houses. And when you walk into a house, he said, peace. Say this, peace, he said, peace be on this place. He told them to say that. And he said, if your peace rests there, stay there. He said, but if it doesn't, you need to leave. What's he talking about? Atmosphere. He's talking about atmosphere. 
It's like walking to a house. Do you smell chocolate chip cookies? Stay. You're good there. Except maybe it's not cookies, it's peace. It's love. It's faith. What is that intoxicating aroma? That's love. That's the love of God working in us and working through us. Okay. We're all agreed. We want that, right? Well, six of us are agreed. We're, we're, we're all agreed. We want that, right? In this house. Somebody say this house. And in my house. This atmosphere of faith and love. How do we cultivate that atmosphere of love? Well, it's more than just people who use their words to articulate love. I love you. I love you. I love you. Those are good things to say, but this robotic recitation, I love you. I love you. What's that do for you? Is that doing anything to minister to you? It's got to be more than our words. This kind of love is cultivated and demonstrated in two main ways. Number one, it's demonstrated through our giving. For God so loved the world that he shouted real loud, I love y'all like I really, really love y'all. Love you. No. If that would have done it, if that would have been enough, that's what he would have done. But that's not what he did. He so loved that he, he so loved that he, that he gave. Giving is the greatest expression of love. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it now and again and again and again. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give with the wrong motivation. You can give to be seen. You can give out of obligation. You can give out of pressure, out of necessity, and have no love in it. But you cannot love, genuinely love somebody without giving. You can't do it. Giving or loving is expressed in giving. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 2 that we are to walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering. Offering. The offering up of our lives. And it's not just a financial thing. It's who you are. It's time. It's effort. It's energy. It's talents. When you give of that, you are cultivating an atmosphere of love in this house and in your house. So the first way our love is expressed and the first way we do this and create this atmosphere is with our giving. But number two, and this is what I want to spend just a moment on and we'll be done. It's not just giving, it's serving. Serving. We cultivate an atmosphere of love with our serving. Let me give you just a couple of scriptures here. This is the one we have built our service teams on here at this church. And it's from the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. We're familiar with this, especially this year. He said, you brethren have been called to liberty. When we jumped into this Jubilee Freedom Project, 
we stood on this scripture right here that said, you are called to be free. Why don't we say it together? I am called to be free. I am called to liberty. He said, you've been called to liberty. One of the things that you and I must do in this life is give people the same freedom that God has given them. People of faith are not controlling people. We are not domineering people. We give people liberty. We give people freedom because that's what God gave people. He said, you're called to liberty only. Do not use liberty hmm, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve. Through love, serve. Through what? Love. What do we do? Serve. Through love, serve one another. Just listen to a few of these verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 11 says, Let your love be without hypocrisy. How many think that's a good idea? No hypocrisy in our love. Are you saying hypocrisy can make its way into love? Every day. People know how to dress it up. People know how to put on the, the love face, say the love words. But like we said last week, hypocrisy can be measured in the distance between what's in your heart and what's coming out of your mouth. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what's evil, cling to what's good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, and serving the Lord. I like the Passion Translation that says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. See, that's a little quiet for enthusiastic. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you with excitement as you serve. As you serve him. You're familiar with this from scripture, but just before Jesus went to the cross in John chapter 13 at the last supper with his disciples, the Bible says when supper was ended, Jesus got up and he took his outer garment off. The Bible says he laid aside those garments and he girded himself with a towel. And if you do a little study, you, you see that that towel is a specific reference to a servant's towel. And he wrapped that around himself and he got out water and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He said, what I'm doing you don't know and you don't understand right now, but you will. And then he said to him, and blessed and happy are you if you do what I'm doing now. And later in that same chapter, he said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. Does that sound like something that's optional? A commandment? Man, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come in our righteousness series. But have you ever noticed People in church kind of get triggered by certain words. We got a lot of trigger words in the world right now. People get triggered at all kinds of things. Well, you know, church folks got some trigger words themselves. And if you dare say anything about commandment or obedience, that's a trigger word, a work. <gasps> that's a trigger word to some people. You're putting me under works. 
But Jesus said, commit. maybe Jesus just didn't have a good understanding of grace. Maybe that's what it was. No, he said, a commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Same chapter as when he took off his outer garment and wrapped around him the towel and the identity of a servant. What's he saying? My commandment is you love each other like this. Do this. And then you get to John chapter 15. And I want to read this to you. We spent a lot of time talking about this, I guess a year or so ago. We've got to remind ourselves of these things. John chapter 15, again, this is just moments before the cross. And Jesus said to them, down around verse 9, I believe it is. Yeah, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandment. What commandment? Love. If you keep that love commandment, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another. Evidently, you and I having joy in this life and not just having joy, but being full of it to the point where that joy overflows out of us has everything to do with keeping this commandment. What commandment? Love. How is love expressed? Serving. You want to have joy in your life? This is the key to joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Find somebody to love. Find somebody to serve. Get outside your own self. This is the key to satisfaction. This is the key to fulfillment. And there is no more miserable life than the self-centered life. And there is no more satisfied life than the life spent serving in the kingdom of God. This is my commandment. And he said in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Do a little bit of study on this. It's fascinating. When Jesus used those words laid down, it's the exact same words in the Greek a couple of chapters before talking about him taking off that outer garment and he laid aside. See, we think of laying down our lives as, let's be honest, dying. When Jesus said, lay down your life, love each other like I've loved you, we typically immediately think of Jesus going to the cross, him being crucified and, and being that sacrifice. And of course, that is, that is love like no man has ever seen before. But remember, that hadn't happened yet. So when Jesus said, love each other like I have loved you, he's not talking about the cross. He's talking about a few hours ago at dinner when he laid aside, he laid down that outer garment and he took on, put on the identity of a servant. And he said, you do this. This is how you love each other. It's more than love you, brother. Love you, sister. God bless you. Love you, bless you, bye. There's more to love than that, church. And we will never create an atmosphere of love in this place if we're dependent upon a robotic recitation of love-sounding things. You want love to be the air we breathe when we walk in here? Serve. 
answer. Now, I'm so thankful and honored to stand here in front of you today. And just as Sarah has read testimony after testimony this morning of the good things that happen in the lives of the people who are serving in this church. God has done amazing things and he has brought, I'm talking to you and I'm talking about you, those that have come and offered up their lives as a living sacrifice. You know what you're doing? You are creating an atmosphere. And people are walking in off the streets going, what's that smell? What is that? That's love. That's somebody loving you. And I'm saying this to you now as we transition out of one season into the next and we're, we're coming into the summertime and now that we've got a couple of years under our belts, we're starting to see similar things happen each year and, and, and I, I, I want to charge you as you make plans to go away and to, to rest with your family, all of which we fully support, all of which we plan to do, all of which you should do, you are not going to get to heaven and reap any rewards for wearing yourself out. God is not going to look at you or me or any of us and say, thank you. Thank you for dying early. Thank you for neglecting your family, running yourself into the ground and never taking a break. He ain't going to thank you or me or any of us for that. He's called us to a life of rest, which includes taking physical time away to rest the body and rest the mind and rest the soul. But one of the things we've seen, and it's just a tendency of human nature and flesh, and it's what I want you to be uh, watchful over is that temptation that says, I'm going away for a week or two, so I'm going to stop serving for months. Watch out. Watch out. How many believe the Lord comes first? Like all year. It's not just a you come first, Lord, except May through August. <laughs> One of the reasons we provide service opportunities in this church is not because we need stuff done. We have an awesome staff and they are working and they are working night and day and they will work hard and they have, gosh, they've been proving themselves to be willing to do anything we'd ask. So the, the truth is we could probably get it done. We could sweep floors, we could clean restrooms, we could vacuum, we could paint, we could take care of it. We're not creating service opportunities because we want stuff done and we want free labor. It's not what this is about. We create service opportunities because by and large, people don't have the opportunity every day to seek first the kingdom of God. They go to work, they have responsibilities at home, and the Lord knows that. And there is no condemnation for it. Doing what you're supposed to do is a good thing. But he was clear to us and he said, you need to invest in the kingdom. This is one of the main reasons we create teams and have opportunities throughout the church is to give you an opportunity to put first the kingdom of God. And the other big reason is it gives us the opportunity to back up what we're saying and what we say is we love each other. What we say is we're with you, we're for you, we'll stand by you. Okay, wonderful. I hear you saying it. Let's put some action to it. What action do we put to that? Lay our lives down in service to the Lord and to each other. 
You want to know what was going on at Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica? These people were falling all over themselves serving each other. Let me get that for you. No, let me get that for you. No, let me get that for you. No, I insist. Let me get that for you. Let me get lunch. No, you got lunch yesterday. Let me get lunch. No, you got lunch yesterday. Let me buy the house. Let me get you the car. No, no, let me do. Let me, let me. Somebody say, let me do that. Let me, let me do that for you. There should be this healthy competition among us, right? Who can serve each other? And I'm encouraging you as you, as we come into this season, that one of the greatest ways you can back up your words, if indeed you would say, I love my church, I love my church family, is seek out ways to serve one another. Amen. And if you're on a team, wonderful. If you need some time away, take a break, that's a good thing, we support that. Could I ask this of you? Maybe go to your leader and instead of saying, hey, I'll be gone for three months. <laughs> And I'm not judging anybody for saying that. Listen, everybody's got their own set of circumstances. I don't know what all's going on. But maybe approach it like this. Is this a good time? I don't want to leave you without help. You could say to somebody, hey, I need to be away. Could I ask you to come fill in for me in this place? Does that make sense to you? That's how we love each other. We love our team leads by not leaving them without help. We love, we love the children of this church by being there and being faithful to create a safe atmosphere for them. We love one another by, by being committed to our word and, and serving the way we've said we would. This is how you and I create this atmosphere of faith and love. Love gives and love serves. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.